Mindfulness Mode 291. All of a sudden, it's like, oh, I remember you. You know, <laughs> it's so much fun to rediscover who you are sexually, right? Hey, Mindful Tribe, thanks for joining us again. Bruce Langford here, your host and Mindfulness Mode podcaster. Yeah, awesome to always have you here. And just hit subscribe if you're enjoying the show. If you haven't done that already, then you'll get every episode. So yeah, today, rediscover your sexuality. And it's so much fun, according to Dr. Jane, as you've already heard on her clip at the beginning. I can't wait for you to hear today's episode. So sit back, relax, and enjoy Rediscover Your Sexuality. Hey, Mindful Tribe, you've been waiting for this this episode. I just know it. This episode is all about sex and it's all about communication and so many other things that go along with sex. But so many of these things we're going to dig into and and uh, talk about. But I'm thrilled because I've got the person to talk about this topic with. And she is absolutely phenomenal, so talented, so skilled, and so easy to talk with. You're going to find that out right away. I'm with Dr. Jane Gwynn. Dr. Jane, are you in mindfulness mode today? I, I totally am in mindfulness mode. And I find that with the topic that I uh, love so much, being mindful matters a uh, tremendous amount. It's so important that we stay mindful when we are connecting with our partner sexually or any other way. It really is totally important. And uh, I'm just going to share with Mindful Tribe a little bit about you, Dr. Jane. And this is what I've got. Dr. Jane is a doctor of human sexuality. As a matter of fact, she has her PhD in human sexuality, and that's why I say she's a doctor of that. She's a professional sex coach. She's a core energy coach, which sounds fascinating. She's also a registered nurse. She helps women discover a juicy, delicious, intimate life, including the sex they've secretly desired all of their life. And I happen to know she helps men too, so that's cool as well. Dr. Jane teaches how to remove one or more of the seven barriers to great sex, even, well, even if you've experienced major hurdles, you can do this. As someone who's been married for over 30 years and has six children, Dr. Jane understands the challenges. And she's the author of the Amazon number one best-selling, and I will add fantastic book because I've been reading it the last few days. It's called Too Busy to Get Busy. So, Dr. Jane, it's so great to have you here. So great to talk with us. What does mindfulness mean to you, first of all? Let's start there. Oh, boy, that is such an important question. And it is a big question, and it des- it deserves, um, you know, really a lot of spaciousness when it comes to sex. Because when it comes to sex, mindfulness is both a showing up and being present fully embodied, fully present with the partner. And it also involves seeing what we've got in our minds and how our thoughts are keeping us from showing up, how those negative thoughts that we have in there, the the self-doubt, the destructive ideas about who we are as a sexual being, how those things are keeping us from really being with our partner 
in the moment. Well, for sure. And, you know, there are so many elements to this. And of course, I've heard it said that the most important sex organ is between our ears. Everybody says that. And I think it's true. Do you think that's true? I totally do. In fact, I am writing an article this week called The Five Most Amazing Things You Can Do to Your Lover with Your Mouth. And those things are um, some of the typical things you might think of to kiss, to lick, to suck, to bite. But most important is to talk. So how we communicate and how we show up in a mindful way and communicate what we know about ourselves and how we're inviting our partner into a relationship that way in a mindful and engaging and open, loving way, that, those, that, that piece, that number five there is actually the most important piece. It isn't about the things they write in Cosmo all the time. It's about being fully present with our partner. Wow, Dr. Jane, that is going to be read by millions of people. I can see it now. And it's going to help millions of people. But let's talk about listening, because, of course, talking and communicating is vital. But what about listening when it comes to having good sex? Yeah. Oh, yes. Listening is key. And it's not just listening to what our partner says. It's to the pauses. It's to the inflection. And it's being willing to ask the questions with guidance. So knowing where those little hidden thoughts or feelings or senses of insecurity, where they might be hiding and how to welcome our partner into full expression by listening to the cues and listening with our whole bodies and watching our partner's body language as well. So listening is actually way more important than talking. Um, You are so right about that, because what we say uh, needs to be an invitation for our partner to express his or her needs in the bedroom. Well, it's interesting that you you say that. It's all about the communication. I, I was reading another book recently, which said something that jumped off the page to me. As soon as I read this, I'm like, oh, this seems strange. This seems weird. And then I thought about it. And I thought, no, that's not weird at all. And what I read was this. The woman was having trouble with her husband and they were had been having trouble for some time and they decided to separate. And so after some time of separation, she said, you know what? I've just decided I just I just don't want to have to find a new partner because I don't want to have to retrain someone else all over again. And I thought, oh, I never really thought of my wife as a teacher in the sex act or that I was a teacher to her. And then I thought, but that's the way it needs to be. But of course, first, I need to truly know what pleasures me before I can teach her what to do so I receive pleasure. Does all that make sense? Completely, completely. So when we understand ourselves, when we look at our life uh, from, you know, really when we were very young and how we started to learn about ourselves sexually, the experiences that we've had, how we've been influenced by the media, Hollywood, our families often, any other societal influences on our lives, when we realize how all those pieces have added up to create who we are today and then see where we are right now, how it's going right now, we're really aware of that, 
And that's when we can tell a partner what we'd like in the future. So here I am, this is my history, and here is uh, what I experienced today with you. I would like to create something where we both feel so aligned. But yes, I need to be your teacher about me. And first of all, I have to learn about who I actually am in these areas. Right, right. There's so much to learn. Well, you spend your time working with couples. And, you know, I know in our society, we have so many hangups. We have, you know, the things coming from the media. We have all these messages. And how can we just kind of be mindful and let those messages go, just allow them to be, but let them go and make sure that we have a healthy sex life. I mean, that's the million dollar question, I realize, but what are, what are your thoughts? Well, first of all, it's important for us to realize that everyone has sex problems. Everyone. We don't know this because we don't talk about it typically, but it's just true. And there's no reason we wouldn't have sex problems. We have problems in every other area of life. For example, gardening. Who has a garden without any weeds? Everyone struggles with the, the issues of gardening. And we buy books about gardening. And we go to the gardening shop and ask for all sorts of information. But because sex is treated as something kind of... Um, I guess, you know, seen positively, very magical, and or it could be very shameful. And for whatever reason, we don't address sex in the same way we address something like gardening. And so we don't actually dig into the, the problems and concerns that we have and everyone else has. And then we look around and we see a couple that seem to have a really fun, sexy relationship. And we think, oh, they must just be really sexy people. In truth, they probably dealt with what I call the five basic sex problems, and they figured out how to um, solve them. Would you like to hear what the five basic sex problems are? I would love to, and I'm laughing because I have your book sitting right here beside me to that page <laughs> because I read through that, and I'm like, okay, that sounds like, yeah, I could, I could resonate with this. Oh, yeah, I could resonate with this. And then I thought, wow, a lot of these things are like, wow, they're really something that I'm sure lots of people could resonate with. So let's talk about them. Great. And I have, I've chunked them up into five groups. These, um, and there's solutions that uh, go with each of these, these problems. So let's talk about the first one, which is no time, no energy. Okay, that's right. the number one. That, and that's why I wrote my book. That is kind of the, at the forefront of everybody's um, mind about sex. Like, I'd love to, but I don't have any time. I have no energy. Okay, very typical. You know, I feel the same way in my life. It's very common. We feel this way. So no time, no energy is the first one. The second one is can't talk about it. Because we are embarrassed, because we feel awkward, because we don't want to make our partner feel inadequate. Or maybe um, we feel guilt. We feel guilt. You know, for being so tired, like you mentioned in number one. You bet. We feel guilt for so many reasons. We feel yes. embarrassed. We don't want to be naked. We have a scar on our abdomen. We have varicose veins. We have something funny with our skin. We compare ourselves to some fabulously good-looking photoshopped actress, like the woman in the notebook in that incredibly sexy uh, scene where they're in the rain and he carries her up the stairs. And we think, that, I've, got a, I've got a bad back. That's not going to work. <laughs> so, and there's so many things that yes. don't, and we can't talk about it. So then the third is 
um, what I call don't want to. And don't want to comes in many forms. And actually, each of these five simple and basic problems, sex problems, you know, have many reasons and many solutions. But the don't want to shows up for so many people. Maybe mm. um, I'm postmenopausal and my hormones have shifted. Or maybe I just had a baby and my hormones have shifted. Or maybe I'm really stressed at work and I'm not interested. Or my hormones have shifted and I'm a man. Or there are other things going on and somehow my libido, my sense of desire is down. So number four, I call body won't work right. Mm. And this can be so many things. I have a bad back. I have erectile dysfunction. I have early ejaculation. I have a problem with my knees. I have a problem with vaginal dryness. I have a problem with my shoulders. Um, I have uh, a problem with other issues related to menopause or related to manopause. We kind of talk about for changes for men or other things that might happen to even a younger person. And then the fifth is uh, no partner. So people will say to me often, well, sure, I'd love to have a great sex life, but I have no partner. And then they feel like, well, I have to find the perfect person, but the last relationship, sex was just complicated, and I don't even know if I want to go there again. So these sexual problems actually keep many people from finding a satisfying partnership, which is really tragic. Sure. So those are yeah. the five basic problems, and many other problems fit into those basic problems. Very interesting. And yeah, it's it's so it's so interesting how you unpack it all in the book and and make it so that then yeah, it's like totally normal. You have such a great way of communicating that, you know, you read it and you don't feel guilty or you don't feel like, oh my gosh, this is a terrible taboo thing that I'm feeling. But speaking of taboo, you know, our society our society does all these things to us. And, you know, I was watching something on it was a late night uh, thing about sex education. So the comedian was basically, I think it was John Oliver was talking about sex education and how, you know, women are portrayed this way, you know, that, hey, you know, if you're having sex pre-marriage, you know, then it's kind of like chewing gum and, you know, you know, who wants to, who wants to chew on chew, on used chewing gum? And yet, they really didn't mention anything like that about the man. <laughs> Nothing was said that the man might be like used chewing gum. And I'm thinking, wow, like this is really honestly hugely degrading what we do to society, what we do to ourselves by exposing our children to teachings like this. You are so right. Yeah. And then what does that say to the kids about what their role is? So let's get back to the gardening uh, example for a second. If yes. we treated gardening the way we treat sex ed, what would happen is in seventh grade, we'd get a really important lesson on planting seeds, pulling weeds, and the use of pesticides. We talk a lot about pests. There'd be a lot of pictures of, you know, creepy crawly things that they'd put on the screen. All the kids would take notes and talk about the dangers of the toxins. And then we'd never talk about it again. And when we thought about the problem we were having in our garden, we tried to think back to seventh grade gardening class and how I must not have planted these seeds correctly and that's why it's not growing well. And we'd look at our garden and we'd think, well, there's nothing I can do about it. It didn't grow. Yes, I'm not a good gardener. 
But somebody down the street would have this amazing English garden filled with peonies, which in and of themselves are pretty sexy flowers, cornflowers, hydrangeas. They grow one after another after another, and you just walk by looking at it, just desiring to have a garden like that. But you wouldn't want to ask how they did it, if they had a book about it, if they had any suggestions, if they could come and look at your garden, because you'd feel embarrassed that you had an inadequate garden. And that is what happens with us about sex. We learn a little bit. It's oftentimes really inaccurate and very fear-based education. And then we go out into the world, we get married, and we are supposed to do what's natural, right? <laughs> natural. Sex is natural. It's so easy, just like going, we, growing flowers, right? Yeah, it's just supposed to happen. Yeah, of course, because it's natural. And you know what? Sometimes that's what happens at the beginning. Now, this is not true for every couple, but for a lot of couples... Like my relationship with my husband, we first met, oh my gosh, we were like, it was like we were in Hawaii gardening. Everything was growing. We had fruit coming off of every tree. It was fabulous. But we then, you know, we have six kids, as I mentioned. And in 2009, I became super mom. And I got to say, I don't know if you've ever seen these magazines where the mom will wear the same clothes as her kids. It's like a floral print and then the little girl has the floral print maybe the boy has the shorts I was that mom I'm shocked to say and I became so uh, enmeshed with the parenting role and so and good at it um, frankly that I lost who I was as a sexual person and Mm. it almost destroyed our relationship which is what led me on this path because we don't realize uh, how sex has gotten lost for us uh, because some of those early drivers towards sex start becoming less less apparent they you know the huge eroticism of the early relationship you know kind of becomes the, the honeymoon phase maybe over and we become a little bit more settled together and we're friendly and we have a nice loving relationship but that that huge erotic edge is you know muted a bit and then maybe you have babies and Now you're really tired. I'll speak for myself here. Um, And then all of a sudden, it's harder to find time. And this is just the natural evolution of a relationship. But we don't know what to do when things go um, off the rail that way a little bit, even a little bit. And we kind of freak out like it's over. You know, it's bad now. And we don't know what to do. No, we truly don't. And, you know, I wanted to ask you something, Dr. Jane, and that is I've noticed that sometimes there's there are comments on social media, very pla- various places, and they'll say, well, you know, 100 years ago, hormone levels in people were way higher. Men had higher testosterone and women, you know, and all this, you know, it was just so things happened a lot more naturally and a lot easier. And it's because of the food and it's because of our environment. Is there any truth to that? That's a good question, but let's let's step back in time and think about the fact that the lifespan in those times was actually a lot shorter. And so we're living longer. I am in my 60s. You know, we have the expectation that we're going to have these relationships that last into what was in former times, you know, old age. I remember my grandpa died, he was 72. We all said he died of natural causes. And we were so glad he lived a full life. And I think now, wow, that's like he was totally ripped off. But that's not a full life anymore to all of us. Right. So I think that it was a younger group of people. 
And of course, many of the things we live with now are impacting us sexually, like you know, the way that we work with uh, social media, for example, uh, the way we connect to our, our devices in the bedroom. You know, he's on his laptop, she's on her iPad. You know, they're both separately connecting to people outside of the room, or maybe they're obsessively watching the news. This is not conducive to connection. And so I do think there are things in our current life, and certainly nutrition may be part of it. These are some of the things that when people go through my program, The Lover's Journey, they end up figuring out which pieces of their lives are barriers to real connection. Because, you know, there are pieces, and you can change those things and remove these barriers so that all of a sudden it's like, oh, I remember you. You know, <laughs> It's so much fun to rediscover who you are sexually, right? It's so much fun to just have that feeling of euphoria, that happiness that you have when you truly love somebody and you have a close relationship and it all seems to work and then everything else in life just seems to just fall into place, doesn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. There's so many benefits and the benefits are there every day, but particularly during times of tremendous difficulty. I have a client couple and they rekindled their relationship after 25 years of, you know, kind of hobbling along and they they had some problems that were actually very easy to resolve and they resolved these problems and all of a sudden it was just fantastic. And then tragically his brother passed away. Mm-hmm. And it was very unexpected and she and he both told me that Having this close, intimate relationship meant the world to them during the days and weeks after that loss because they could really cleave together. And whether it was actually a sexual act or just the touching and holding and caressing that they could provide each other, it meant everything to them going forward in their relationship and in their lives. Well, Dr. Jane, I I love one of the things in your book. You have the bedroom blueprint. And I think that's so clever. <laughs> and you uh, you go through some different points about that. Do you want to just talk about that for a minute? Oh, yes, I'd love that. So when you work with me, what happens is we, you go through a process of understanding who you've been sexually. You look at your life. Then you open communication uh, with your partner. And then the third portion is you voice your needs in the bedroom. And using the seven different areas of erotic intimacy uh, as outlined in the bedroom blueprint, you can discover where these barriers are. And I even have an online assessment I offer people for this. So the bedroom blueprint includes your body. So our bodies are, you know, it's a physical act and there are many aspects about our bodies that we can get in touch with to release barriers there our environment and how our environment influences us sexually. There's just tons of low-hanging fruit there. Desire is D, and how do you experience desire and how can you increase desire? Or your partner may be not experiencing the desire you hope he or she is experiencing. Your relationship has communication in that relationship about it. And then there's two O's, because you don't have to have two O's, but you know, I'm a, I'm a sex person, so I love to have two O's in the model. <laughs> so the first O is openness. 
So how open are you to sex in general? And there are five different things that influence that openness, um, emotion, experience, empowerment, eroticism, those things influence openness. And then orgasm. What about orgasm in your life? Is it what you want? Do you want to expand it? Do you have some limiting beliefs around your orgasm and your partner's orgasm? Are you faking your orgasm, which happens so often in relationships? And then mindfulness is M in bedroom. And how are your thoughts showing up and keeping you from being able to be present? Plus, how are you opening spaciousness, connection, working with your energy as um, a mindfulness container, a container of mindfulness so that you are really present when you are with your partner so that you can have this transcendent, fantastic sex experience as a couple. Well, beautiful sex is amazing. Sometimes, of course, you know, one or both of the partners have experienced trauma, which can very, very seriously affect this. And the trauma could be bullying or a form of it. And I wanted to ask you a question about this, since this is an area I've worked in for years. Do you have a story about bullying where mindfulness may have made a difference? Absolutely. You know, um, at the time of this of this recording, there has been a lot of emphasis on Facebook where women are claiming um, their, and I'll say our, experience with sexual assault yes. or sexual um, harassment. And it's, it's stunning to watch my news feed as person after person, woman after woman, uh, prints up or types up Me Too in her profile in her status. And, um, yeah, it's been, it's just been, it's been both, um, I I'm honored to see so many of us claiming that. So it's, it's kind of hopeful in a way that we're all showing up with that, that what's something that's been a secret for so long. And at the same time, it's really sad to see so many of us who are having that me too experience. And, um, for me, the bullying that I've experienced in my life really had to do with um, really started in my home. And, and I think for many of us, when we aren't empowered in our own homes, it sets us up for further bullying experiences, further sexual harassment, rape and other kinds of experiences where we don't have power. So, um, my experience was with a father who drank alcoholically, and he created a, a very scary home environment. Although we looked fantastic on the outside, mm-hmm. as is the case with many of these families, we had a gardener, our house was you know, very lovely up on a hill. We weren't wealthy, but for the community I lived in, I felt like I was fairly well-to-do, and it was all just right. But when you got behind closed doors, my dad was really scary. And because of that, I ended up um, with a lot of barriers and a lot of armoring. And it took me time and it took me the use of mindfulness to release the barriers and release the armoring and being willing to be vulnerable with other people. On the way there, I went through kind of a dragon slayer phase uh, where I was a rescuer for people who were being bullied around me. And I, I would go into a situation. I, I remember this one situation. I was in Northern California where I live with my husband. I was newlywed there. 
and there was this pickup truck next to us in the Safeway parking lot, and a man who had you know, two or three guns in the back rack, he had a, uh, a pit bull in the front seat with him, and he was this big man, and he started to beat the pit bull with his fist. Yep. <laughs> and oh, wow. I got out of the car, and I went over to that truck, and I said, you leave that dog alone. Wow. <laughs> you had a lot of courage. And my husband is just terrified. He's like, get back in the car, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, back in the car, back in the, you know, but I remember yeah. I was so compelled to like step in and yes. that has its own though. That edge is not, is actually pulls a little of the bully energy. It's the fighter. And so it took me some time to realize that I could be in place as a, as a safe space for someone who is um, who's experiencing bullying without bringing that edge, that hard edge. And that's right. what I do now in a mindful way is to, when, when I see something, then I turn to the person, the, the victim, if you will, and create a spaciousness and kindness around that person to kind of envelop that instead of directly connecting with the person who's got this hard energy. And that seems to work better for me. It's a, it's a transition for me and it's a growth for me. Well, that's a great story. I really appreciate that. When I was, uh, well, I always do many presentations on the topic of bullying as well as mindfulness because it's so closely tied. And I would have sometimes students or older uh, students up to act out scenarios. And I would say, okay, this is the scenario. This is what you need to act out. And okay. And then someone stands up against the bullying situation. And so then I would always have to be careful that that person standing up against it didn't end up looking like a bully themselves. So I hear what you're saying. You know, it's a very important aspect. We've covered so much ground here, but I want to move forward and ask you five quick answer questions. And uh, so just 30 second answers are perfect. The first one is this, Dr. Jane, who is one person who has influenced your mindfulness in your life? Oh, um, I don't remember this woman's name, but she taught a mindfulness-based stress reduction course. Um, you probably know the name of the man who wrote that. I feel like his last name is Sabbath, maybe? He's out of uh, John John Kabat-Zinn. Yes. Thank you. John yes. Kabat-Zinn. Thank you. Right. There um, you go. And so I took a class from her and learned meditation practices and, you know, just that whole range of, um, you know, mindfulness practices. And she really influenced me. Wow, that's great. How has mindfulness affected your emotions? Well, uh, the bullying story is a good example of that. When I get into a situation where I'm really being triggered by someone else's hard edge mm -hmm. uh, and bullying behavior, I don't want to give up my um, willingness to stand up. But at the same time, I don't want to bring an aggressive stance to that person. So mindfulness has allowed me to like come back within myself I th and think of it energetically and just like bring it back in and still be there as um, someone who's holding space. Tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness practice, Dr. Jane. Well, I'm a yogi, a yoga practitioner, and I use breathing in that practice. And I also use it when I meditate. I use it um, to get myself grounded and fall into the gap, which I must say I'm not able to do every single time I meditate. But when I can get into that space, it feels like, like 
it was one of the most pleasurable experiences I, I have, you know, as a sex person, that's saying something. Um, but, you know, <laughs> just being in that, that what feels like really a gap between awake and asleep and um, just such pure bliss. And that happens when I use my breathing well and really become conscious of my breathing. And Dr. Jane, what book would you recommend which is related to mindfulness? Hmm. Well, the book we just talked about, talked about the mindfulness-based stress reduction book, that I feel is really helpful for anyone, no matter where they are on their journey. If you're beginning your mindfulness practice, it gives you the framework and allows you to see many different outlets for your mindfulness practice. And one area may be better suited to you than another but it also is deep enough that even if you are a practitioner of mindfulness, that you'll be able to get a lot out of that book. Do you have an app that you recommend people use for mindfulness? You know, I I would be really interested in what app you like using, Bruce, because I have had some apps and sometimes they haven't, um, I don't know, they haven't been a fit for me. So I'm still looking for my perfect mindfulness app. What do you recommend? Sure. I I sometimes use apps and one of them that I like is called Insight Timer. And on Insight Timer, you can go on there and hear guided meditations that many people have put up. And so that can be very helpful if you're looking for that. Sometimes I just love to meditate with no guided meditation at all, but other times I enjoy it. Yeah, me too. And you know, one of the things I love is when a friend or someone I admire, so I know the person, when that person puts together a beautiful meditative uh, guide. For example, a friend, Christy Sincera, and you could find her online. It's um, S-I-N-S-A-R-A, Christy with a K. She has some gorgeous uh, meditation opportunities there where she's, you know, you can download her, her voice and her music. And I just think that's a, such a gift when people do that, when people bring forward a creative opportunity for others to live mindfully. Yeah, I do too. I think that's a great suggestion. Well, you are the sex communication specialist. I am. And, you know, we talked about how communication is so important in all of this. But, you know, I just want you to share with all of Mindful Tribe about how we connect, how we can connect with you and learn more about what you do. And of course, I know that your book, you're going to mention something about making that available because it is such a wonderful book. So share with us how we can connect with you, Dr. Jane. Absolutely. Well, I, I, my book, Too Busy to Get Busy, is available as a gift to all of our listeners today. And what, if you'd like to get a copy of the book, and it, it's an easy read. It is um, a practical guide for couples who want to create uh, a great relationship in the bedroom. So if you would be interested in receiving a copy of the book via email, please send your name and email. You're going to do this via text message. So text your name and email to this number. It's 541-444-0112. I'll say that again. So it's 541-444-0112. So text your name and email to that number. And if for some reason you're not in the U.S. or you don't have text messaging, you could email me. Jane, like it sounds, J-A-N-E, at janegwyn.com. And my last name is spelled G-U-Y-N. 
So jane at janegwyn.com. And you could send me a message. I'll send you a copy of the book. And that's also the place for you to get in touch with me if you'd be interested in spending, you know, an hour with me on the phone in a lover's journey discovery session. I would adore, uh, well, I only have room for 10 people in my schedule right now, but for, for 10 people, I would love to spend that time with you and I can get you connected to my calendar. We can have a great conversation about how to, uh, yeah, take your relationship to the next level. Wow, that's such a wonderful offer. And I want to clarify, the book you're going to send, is that an e-book then it, that you're going to send out? Yes, it is the same exact book as the book you get on Amazon, but it is uh, it's a, in PDF form. So you get it into your email inbox right away. You can start reading it, and um, it'll be right there, nice and easy, and no need to, or you could get it on Amazon if you wanted a, a print cover, but a print copy, but yes, it'd be an e-book, okay. yep. Excellent. Yeah, I, like I said, I highly recommend it. And I'm absolutely thrilled to have you here. And, you know, it's been a great conversation. So much more you can learn by reading that book and reaching out to Dr. Jane. So I highly encourage you to do that. But thanks so much for being here today and part of Mindfulness Mode. I appreciate it, Dr. Jane. Oh, it was a huge pleasure. I enjoyed it so much. And um, yes, what a beautiful body of work you have and mindfulness tribe is you know making the world a better place by focusing on this incredibly important topic thank you so much all the best to you and uh, so take care and bye 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 thank you so much for joining us today on mindfulness mode for show notes for every episode check out mindfulnessmode.com and type the guest name or episode number into the search bar If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by subscribing to Mindfulness Mode wherever you listen. Maybe it's iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever. Hit subscribe and share. Subscribing and sharing helps keep Mindfulness Mode on the air. Subscribe and share, share, share. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.